0: Luke chapter 14, we're going to be looking uh, specifically at verses 25 through 33. And, you know, we've been uh, in this uh, sermon series for the past four weeks on what is church membership. Uh, You know, what does church membership look like? What uh, is church membership even biblical? And, uh, you know, what can a person expect of their church and what should a a church expect from its members? Well, I think this text this morning falls directly in line, kind of as a good follow-up, Uh, To that sermon series. This week we're going to be looking at uh, the issue of discipleship. Uh, What is it to be a disciple of Jesus? Uh, Specifically, uh, is it worth the cost to follow after Jesus? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And then next week we're going to be looking at uh, the issue of prayer. Uh, The gift that God has given us to be able to go to Him as His children and make our requests known to Him. And that He is a God who delights to hear us, but not only hear us, but also to answer us. Uh, So, we're going to be looking at those things for the next couple of weeks while Brother Richard's away. So I would, uh, I would covet your prayers uh, this week uh, as we uh, make up kind of with a, a staff member away. So let's look at our, our text now, Luke chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. The year was 1809, uh, and two missionaries from the London Missionary Union set foot on the islands of the New Hebrides. The islands of the New Hebrides are a Polynesian group of islands about three-quarters of the way between Australia and Hawaii in the Pacific Ocean. These men set foot on that island to reach an unreached people group and within minutes of their ship landing they were captured by the natives of that uh, of that island and they were tortured and they were killed and eventually their bodies were taken and cooked and they were eaten as you see that tribe that lived on the island of new hebrides was a cannibalistic tribe just 15 short years after that incident occurred Another missionary man by the name of John Patton desired to take up the work that the missionaries there had started to go again to these same people uh, to, to share the gospel with them and uh, to, to spread the gospel in those islands. Well, John Patton had a great desire to see this take place, and he spoke of it often. And one in particular uh, situation in which he was speaking about this in public, one of his uh, friends, uh, a man by the name of Mr. Dickinson, Uh, stood up in the crowd and said, the cannibals, you will be eaten by the cannibals. No doubt a loving response from a good friend, but listen to what John Patton's response to his friend was. He said, Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die Serving the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours, in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What do you think of when you hear a testimony like that? What do you What do you think of when you hear of uh, of a man who uh, who throws it all to the wind? It seems like to serve and honor. Jesus. Perhaps some of you think that, you know, uh, that man is a is a great example of faith. Uh, but I could never do that. You know, I, I would never, I would never put my life or my family's life in danger like that. You know, I, I think oftentimes we hear stories like this. We hear testimonies like this. This is a true story. Uh, we hear testimonies like this, and and we think, well, yeah, that's a great response for him to have. But you know, he's just kind of like this upper echelon of disciple of Jesus, right? He's, he's kind of the elite, right, of, of what it means to follow after Jesus. John Patton is a great example, but he's not an example that, you know, I'm necessarily required to live up to. But brothers and sisters, I think we see in our text this morning that that's not true. That if we are to follow after Christ, then we must be willing uh, to give him everything, even our own physical life. So let's dive into the text there, and let's, and let's see uh, where we find this. So uh, we'll have three points this morning, and, uh, you know, the kind of the theme is if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must, right? So all of our points. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must dot, 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 right? So if you're taking notes, uh, you can see there in your bulletin uh, those three points that we're going to be looking at from the text this morning. And number one is, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, he must have your greatest allegiance and your greatest affection if you want to be a follower of jesus you must he must have your greatest allegiance and your greatest affection i get that from uh, verses 25 uh, through 26 so we see here that that great crowds are following after jesus this isn't anything uncommon Uh, we've seen this even in the book of matthew as we've been studying through that book that wherever jesus went he didn't just have his 12 disciples following after him uh, there were great crowds oftentimes uh, that were following after Jesus. And as you can imagine, there was probably a, you know, a pretty mixed bag within that crowd, right? There's all kinds of people there. Uh, no doubt there are uh, some who genuinely want to be followers of Jesus, who want to be his disciples, who believe in him, who believe in his message and the words that he has been preaching to them all along. I'm sure that there were people in that crowd who were like that. Uh, there were probably some people in that crowd who, you know, maybe they were listening to Jesus' words. Maybe they were, uh, you know, they were interested in what he was saying. But, you know, maybe they just wanted to kind of see what he was going to say next. Or maybe they just kind of wanted to see what he was going to do next. I mean, Jesus was traveling around doing all these miracles and all of these different things. And uh, no doubt that those types of things would draw a crowd. So maybe there were people in that crowd, I'm sure. Uh, who just wanted to see kind of what Jesus was going to do next, what he was going to say next. But not only that, I, I'm sure there were people in that crowd who absolutely hated Jesus. Uh, we we read in other places in the scripture uh, that groups of people, uh, particularly the Pharisees and the scribes, right, would follow after Jesus just waiting for him to slip up, just just waiting for that one wrong word or that wrong, one wrong action, and they were going to get him, right? So Within this crowd, you've got a whole host of different types of people with all different types of responses to what Jesus was saying and doing. And Jesus turns to this crowd, and he says this. Look down at verse 26. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Now, that's a strange thing to say for Jesus, isn't it? I mean, first off, that's not exactly uh, the type of phrase that you can say that's going to win popularity with the people, is it? I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't the latest church growth strategy that we can pull out of the scripture, you know? Uh, Unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, and even yourself, you can't be a member of this church, you know, or you can't be a disciple of Jesus, you can't be a Christian. And that kind of seems to contradict what other parts of Scripture say, doesn't it? I mean, we know uh, one of the Ten Commandments uh, is to, uh, to honor your father and mother, right? So that your days may be long in the land that God has given you. The second greatest commandment in all of the Scripture, the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second commandment is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So what is Jesus doing here? Is this a, is this a contradiction? Is he, is he trying to scare people off? What, what is it that Jesus is trying to do? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's using a figure of speech uh, that we use all the time. It's, it, it's called hyperbole, right? He's using a hyperbole. He's, he's exaggerating to make a point, right? I do this like a million times a week. <clears throat> Some of you got that joke. That's right. I do this a million, I don't literally do this a million times a week. It's an exaggeration to make a point, right? We do it all the time. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father, mother, brother, sister, and even himself, he cannot be my disciple. Right? What he's saying here, I, I think what Jesus is saying here is that we must give Christ our greatest allegiance and our greatest affection. Our greatest allegiance. What, what is it that you that holds your allegiance what is it that gets you is it your job or you know toys that you may collect or gather is it is it some position of authority or power or whatever it may be your family whatever it may be what is it that steals our allegiance and our affections there's all kinds of ways that we can figure this out right where where do we spend most of our time where do we spend most of our mental energy and most of our uh you, Everything that we go what do we, what do we put everything that we 've got into this one thing well that 's a good sign of what has your greatest allegiance and your greatest affection. you know what do you spend the most money on? Where does most of your money go uh, where does uh, you know what occupies all of your resources that that 's a good teller of where your attention and your allegiance and your affections lie so <laughs> Jesus is using this hyperbole to say that his followers must give him their greatest affection and their greatest allegiance. If you can't figure out, uh, you know, sometimes it may be hard uh, to figure out what your greatest affection and your greatest allegiance is, I, I'll give you a little tip. If you have children, ask your children. If I, if I went to one of your children, or if I went to one of your grandchildren, or your spouse, and I, 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 I ask them, you know, where does uh, mommy or daddy's, uh, what, what do they love most? What do they love most? What, what would they say? You know, what, what is your spouse? What is your husband or your wife? What do they love more than anything in the world? What do they devote their time to? What do they devote their resources to? What would they say? And that would be an interesting question to ask. But the point here is that Jesus is calling us to reflect on our relationships with others. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus, then our relationship with Christ must have our greatest Attention and our greatest affection and allegiance. So, having called us to reflect upon our relationships with others, and having warned us to uh, give Jesus more affection and allegiance uh, than anyone else, Jesus now turns in this next verse, uh, and he concentrates our thoughts on how uh, on our own lives and how we ought to follow him in our own lives more deeply. Okay, so let's look at verse twenty-seven. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that's the second thing that we learn from this passage this morning. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus, then we must die to ourselves daily. Okay, so Jesus, just after having uh, talked about uh, giving up our other relationships and, and giving our greatest affection and allegiance to our relationship with Christ, he then says... If you don't bear your own cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I think this, this idea of bearing your own cross is something that uh, the church at large today has really kind of skewed and gotten messed up, right? So if I say, you know, you must bear your cross, the first thing that probably pops to your mind is some kind of a trial or tribulation uh, that you have to face in this life, right? So you may be struggling with some type of sickness or... Uh, you know, whatever. And you'll say, well, that's just this cross that I have to bear. It's this temporary, momentary light affliction, as Paul says, that we've been given to walk down the road of life with. That's kind of what, we, what we've what we turned this phrase of bearing your cross uh, into today, right? So it's just, this is just something I've got to bear. And I don't want to make light of anybody's situation this morning, but I just don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, Jesus isn't saying, if you want to be my disciple, you just got to shoulder these burdens of life and try to live as faithfully as you can. That's, that's not uh, what Jesus is talking about here. When this audience, when this crowd that's following after Jesus would have heard Jesus say these words, you must bear your own cross, it would have meant one thing to them. It would have meant you must pick up the instrument of your torture and death and follow after me. Uh, The cross was not, to them, some momentary light affliction. The cross, to them, was a torture instrument. The cross, to them, was a means of execution by Roman soldiers. And so, they would not have taken this statement by Jesus any other way than to say, if you want to be my disciple, then you must be willing to die. Right? And there are some in this room, perhaps, uh, that may have to Uh, to follow after this uh, command and be obedient to this command very, very literally. There are people, we have brothers and sisters all over the world who give up their life on a daily basis, give up their physical life uh, in order uh, to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, You know, John Patton, who we talked about in the introduction of the sermon, uh, he was one of those men. He was one who was willing to risk his life and his family's life uh, to be a disciple of Jesus, to take the gospel to the nations. But uh, the truth is that the vast majority of us, probably every single one of us, will not be asked uh, to give up our phys- physical life to follow after Jesus. Uh, right? Most of us here are not going to die uh, because we are trying to live a faithful life uh, for Jesus. So what is this ta- how can we be obedient to this commandment of Jesus uh, that says if we don't take up our cross and follow after him, then we're not worthy to be his disciple? Well, I think, I think that we must die to ourselves daily. I think the scripture teaches that. And it, it goes very much in line with the first point, that part of uh, our following after Jesus must be that we give him our greatest allegiance and our greatest affection, that all of the things we count as loss in order to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. That's the cost that, God is, that Jesus here is calling us to. He's, he's telling us uh, that we must be willing uh, to daily die to ourselves. So those things that we hold on to so dearly, uh, those uh, things that have our allegiance and our affections, we must be willing to take those and put them aside and count them as rubbish, as the Apostle Paul says in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Uh, I got to see this uh, lived out in a very, uh, in a very amazing way uh, in my seminary years. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, one of the first jobs that I had was to be a general manager at a Chick-fil-A uh, in Louisville. Uh, and that job was, uh, was great on a lot of uh, different levels, but the biggest uh, benefit to that job was that I got to work with a lot of people uh, who weren't believers, who weren't Christians. And being in ministry, uh, you know, for, pretty much from the time that I got out of college, that was kind of a rare exception uh, to get to work with people uh, who were not believers. And uh, one of the guys, one of my coworkers uh, there at the store, uh, he came from a Mormon family. <clears throat> and so uh, this guy, we became really good friends Uh, he became of age to the point to where he started going through the classes to become an elder in his church and to go out on his mission. Uh, And as was, I think, pretty common, uh, when they start going through those classes, uh, they start getting kind of all the idiosyncrasies of the Mormon teaching, uh, and they really start to struggle and start to question uh, a lot of things about their faith, about their religion, uh, because some of the stuff just seems to be kind of out there. So, uh, being in seminary, uh, this uh, young man would come to me oftentimes, and he would say things like, "Nick, just just tell me what it is that you believe, right? And what more open door to share the gospel with somebody can you get? I mean, somebody comes to me at work and says, will you just share what you believe with me. What do you think about? It? I, I learned this the other day, and this is what I you know have been taught." And you know, I'm struggling to see where that fits in with the rest of Scripture and that kind of stuff. And so I got to have many great conversations, along with some of my other coworkers who were Christians. I got to have many conversations with this young man uh, during this time of struggle. Well, long story short, uh, eventually this man became a Christian. <clears throat> uh, he uh, devoted himself to Jesus. Uh, he repented of his sins and put his faith in the gospel. Uh, and uh, he left the Mormon church uh, and was baptized. Uh, in a very faithful church there in Louisville. Uh, Now that uh, really put his neck on the line with his family. Uh, At the age of 19, uh, this young man's family held a funeral service for him. They disowned him. He was excommunicated from the church that he uh, grew up in and where he had served in. Uh, And basically he was cut off and kicked out and he was out on his own for the rest of his life. you know, and hearing this guy's testimony, and hearing uh, that trial, that great tribulation that he went through, uh, you talk to him, and you say, you you expect him to be a very bitter person, or you know, perhaps to walk away from the faith and say, you know, this isn't worth all of this. But that's not his testimony at all. He has been walking faithfully with Jesus for for several years now. Uh, He has so much joy uh, in his discipleship to Jesus, and he said, listen, you know, Christ calls us to die to ourselves daily he He calls me to give him my greatest affection and my greatest allegiance and if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I really can't expect anything less than this happening this is This is just momentary, and he still faithfully shares the gospel with his family today you know i I think that it's uh, you know most of us probably won 't be in that type of a situation that 's a good example of what it means to die to yourself daily that 's a good example of what it means to uh, to give Jesus your greatest affection and your greatest allegiance. Uh, but most of us probably won 't have to go through lord willing we won 't have to go through a situation like that so how how do we how are we to be uh, obedient to this text well i I think that you know we must Prepare just to daily surrender our life to Jesus. Every morning when you wake up, have these things on your mind. Daily surrender your life to Jesus. Give up your precious sins, those things that you hold on to so dearly that you think, "I oh, well, you know, I'm just going to do this because it brings me pleasure, uh, but, you know, Jesus will forgive me even if I do it. Let go of those things, those those possessions that we hold on to so tightly, uh, that we love so much, we must be willing to, Uh, to let go of those things on a daily basis and give Jesus our greatest affection and our greatest allegiance. That's what it looks like to die daily, right? So I can't speak individually to each of you and, and talk about how this plays out, but generally speaking, that's what we must do. Generally speaking, we must daily devote ourselves to following after Jesus, surrender our life to Christ. Well, these things are definitely hard, uh, these, two, these first two points, they're extremely difficult to understand. They're, they're extremely difficult to obey. But it's safe to say that following after Jesus Christ is, is very dangerous. It's very costly indeed. So next, Jesus tells us two different stories to illustrate for us what we must do. So look down there in verses uh, 29 through 32. 32. He gives these two stories, and he talks about this tower uh, that's being built, and he talks about this king that's going into battle to face this other king. And I think Jesus' point here, and our third point this morning, is that if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must count the costs. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, then you must count the costs. So there's these two illustrations. First is this tower. Uh, So... This man sets out, he has a sum of money, he sets out to build this tower. But uh, he's foolish, uh, and before he goes out and uh, starts building the tower, instead of first sitting down and looking to see how much, how much is this going to cost me, how much are building materials going to be, how much, you know, how much is the land going to be, how much, uh, you know, how much is labor going to cost me, how much are my taxes going to be, all that different stuff, and counting out the costs. Very specifically, this is what this is going to look like. Before he does that, he just foolishly goes out into the field and buys some materials and begins building. But what happens is is he gets the foundation to the building laid uh, and very quickly he finds himself out of money. He's bankrupt. He's got nothing left, left to do. So pretty much he has a slab of concrete out in the middle of the field. Not the tower that he was expecting. And as people drive by, as people walk by and they see, uh, they see this foundation that's laid out in the middle of the field and they know this man's intentions were to build this great tower uh, and they mock him, Jesus says. Uh, they say, man, he didn't, he didn't sit down first and take care of business, right? He didn't count the cost uh, before he began. That's the first illustration that Jesus. And the second is this king. So this king uh, has 10,000 soldiers in his army fairly sizable army Uh, he's got these um, these soldiers that are going into battle and he's about to meet this other king uh, in the battlefield Uh, but then he gains word that this other king is bringing 20,000 so they're outnumbered two to one Uh, not exactly great odds (laughs) you know in those days of uh, fighting a battle so jesus says that good king, that wise king, must first sit down and say, okay, let's count the cost. Can I meet this other king who has an army of 20,000 men with my army that has 10,000 men? You know, do I have, do I have the artillery to take care of business on the battlefield? Do I have the manpower? Are my, are my soldiers skilled enough to, to fight in this battle where they are outnumbered two to one? And if not... That king, if he's a good king, doesn't just send his soldiers out into battle; he sends a peace delegation and he asks for terms of peace. Uh, that's what a good king does. He first, before he goes out into battle, he sits down and he counts the costs. Right, and that's that's what Jesus is is telling us to do today. If we want to be his disciple, we must count the costs, and that's that's what this sermon is all about. Ask yourself this question: this This is how you can be obedient to this text. Ask yourself this question. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to follow after Jesus? Is it worth all of these things? Is it worth giving Jesus your greatest affection and your greatest allegiance? Is it worth dying to yourself on a daily basis? Is it worth being willing to give up your physical life, if need be, for the sake of Jesus? Is it worth it? Well, I think that's... uh, uh, that's what Jesus is calling us to do this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and, uh, you know, you're, you, you, don't think, you're not, you don't claim to be a Christian. Uh, you're here, you're interested. Perhaps you saw the cars in the parking lot and you thought, hmm, that looks interesting, I think I'll go in and, uh, and see. Perhaps you're interested in what the Scripture says, uh, but you, you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and devoted yourself to be a disciple of Him. Well, this text this morning is calling you to count the costs count the cost to see if it's really worth it to you to follow after Jesus. There are those of you this morning who are here who have been faithfully following Jesus much longer than I've been walking on this earth. I think the call to you is no different this morning. Daily. Count the cost. Is it worth it to follow after Jesus? That's what Jesus calls us to there in verse 33. Therefore, if Any of you does not renounce all that he has. He cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to give yourself totally over to Christ? Is it worth it? John Patton did wind up going back to the island of the New Hebrides. Uh, He was there for a short amount of time and uh, he was not uh, captured and killed and eaten by the cannibals. Uh, But while he was there, he did face uh, great tribulation. Uh, his First, his children died. Uh, both of his children died. And then, shortly after that, uh, his wife passed away uh, in labor. And so he found himself alone uh, on the island. Uh, he found himself very sick at one point. Uh, and he, uh, uh, he faced so much difficulty in following after Jesus in the islands of the New Hebrides. But... He was faithful. Uh, He stayed with it. He continued to preach the gospel. He continued to work with the people of that tribe. Uh, And many, many, many of the natives of that island came to know Jesus because of his ministry. Many still today uh, are followers after Jesus because of the ministry that John Patton had there. So I wonder if we ask, if John Patton were here this morning and we asked him, was it worth it? was it worth all of the cost to be the disciple of Jesus, I'm pretty sure that John Patton would say, absolutely it's worth it. Absolutely it's worth it. And part of the reason why it's worth it, and part of the reason why this morning it is worth it for you, is because the cost of not following Jesus is so much greater. Listen to the next two verses of Scripture there. Verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Brothers and sisters, the cost of not following Jesus are so much higher than the cost of following Jesus. So, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord God, you have challenged us through your word this morning, and I pray that uh, uh, as we come to this time of invitation, as we uh, close out the service today, that you would help us, uh, Lord, to give you our greatest affection and allegiance. Lord, I help us that, uh, pray that you would help us to die to ourselves daily uh, and to count the costs, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would find us all uh, good and faithful servants of you.